Welcome to the Cambridge Tech Podcast, talking all things technology from the heart of the UK's tech capital. Here are your hosts, Faye Holland and James Parton. Hi, I'm James. And I'm Faye. We have good news to start with this week, which includes a thank you to you, our listeners. I received a message from Farbo Shakuri, last week's guest, to say he has had lots of investment interest on the back of the podcast. So great news for Farbo, the team at Phantom Technology, and a huge thank you to our listeners from us and obviously from Farbo as well. James is busy this week. He's out and about, so I'm on my own for the news updates today. One of the ventures James has been to is the reopening of the Barker's Eagle Labs Hub to bring together like-minded climate innovation entrepreneurs to connect, drive innovation and grow and scale their businesses. Also, with regards to facilities, Ideaspace, which became part of Cambridge Enterprise in 2023, launches a revamped Ideaspace West for Cambridge-based startups and spin-out companies. So really good for our startup ecosystem that these new places are being revamped and are emerging across the city. And you can find out more about both of those on their relevant social media channels. The 21 to Watch shortlist was announced this week. So if you're interested again in the next generation of entrepreneurs, do take a look by simply following the hashtag to find out more. Drone services company SkyTech Cambridge has been commissioned by organisers of the TTP Cambridge Half Marathon, which takes place next month, to provide the race organisers with a unique perspective of the course and its surroundings for security and crowd monitoring purposes. SkyTech founder Mark Mann says the use of 4G, 5G for live streaming is not always possible and it's expected that this exciting new technology using the Starlink satellite system may be the future of connectivity requirements for drone operations. Global company Nordic Semiconductor is adopting ARM Total Access to help advance AI and machine learning for advanced IoT applications, marking a new chapter in their 23-year partnership. Cambridge headquartered Rivlane is playing a key role in the development of next-gen technology for the National Quantum Computing Centre. They will be contributing to the efforts of Rigetti UK, which is a subsidiary of NASDAQ-quoted California company Rigetti Computing Inc. And you can head over to the website to find out more about that. And our final piece of news this week, I actually caught up with Samantha Deacon, Impulse Programme Manager, ahead of the deadline for the 2024 cohort. So, Samantha, what is Impulse? Thanks, Faye. Pleasure to speak about this. So, Impulse is an entrepreneurial learning program that's based at the Maxwell Centre on the West Cambridge site. And it runs over 12 weeks from this year, the 23rd of April. And the first and the last week are in-person, also hybrid, but in-person to maximise the the learning and networking opportunities between our participants and their mentors and our large group of expert contributors from the Cambridge ecosystem and beyond. So that's the programme. That's great. And you talked about your participants. Who typically attends? So we have a a fantastic feature of Impulse, which is that it's open to anyone, as long as they have a tech or life sciences idea that they want to commercialise. So it's not just people with a Cambridge connection. So for example, in last year's cohort, we had 45 participants, but 
coincidentally, 45% of those were from outside of Cambridge. So typically we have PhDs and postdocs, but also entrepreneurs who aren't necessarily coming out of an academic lab, and some intrapreneurs who are driving innovation within established organizations. And we aim to match all of our participants with sponsored fellowships. So these are places funded by our fantastic partners, charities like Cancer Research Horizons, corporates like Magna and Automotive, um, and then some research-focused organizations. We list them all on our website so that our participants largely can attend without any cost to them. That's, that's really great. It's such a great opportunity for people. So some of your alumni that have come through? Yeah. After eight years, Impulse has some incredible alumni companies, many of whom you've featured on the, on the podcast previously. So some that have recent news are New Quantum. They've just won a £2.3 million contract from the UK government. And then Zampla are advancing their green plastic replacement products. They've just been successful in raising $7 million. And we list all of our alumni companies on the Impulse website, which is part of the kind of Maxwell Centre site. And one of the nice things is a lot of those alumni are mentors now. You, you talked about some of those earlier on. They actually come back and continue to support the program, don't they? Absolutely. And that's really what Impulse is about. It's not about the, the theory in most cases. It's about learning from experienced entrepreneurs who have kind of been there and done that. So you're starting very soon, which means your deadline must be imminent. So how long have people got and what, what kind of profile of candidates are you looking for? Yeah, no, it is soon, um, but we get a lot of applications close to the deadline, and that's fine. So the deadline is the 10th of March. I can assure people it's a short application, and we're looking for people who are working on a research topic in tech or life sciences or just have a, an idea around that that they think has potential for commercialization. And if you are looking for experienced entrepreneurs and advice and mentorship to help you bring this to market, we'd really love to hear from you. Uh, you just fill out the application. And the next step is to have an interview, which sounds a little bit scary, but it's really just a bit of a chat with our head of the program to discuss your idea and what you'd like to get from Impulse. We admit really most of our applicants and we work hard to find them a suitable fellowship so that attending is free and we can get their incredible ideas out into the world. And where do they go to submit the application? The application is on the Impulse website, which is, uh, as I said, hosted on the uh, Maxwell Centre website. So University of Cambridge, if you just search for Impulse Programme Maxwell Centre, you'll, you'll find us. Perfect. Thank you very much, Samantha. Thanks, Faye. Now let's get on to today's episode, where we're joined by Kian Hughes, partner at Shore Valley Ventures. Welcome, Kian. It's great to have you on the podcast today. So thanks for joining us. Um, we met last year. We were both judges at the Innovation Alley competition at Cambridge Tech Week. So let's get to know you a little bit better. Why don't you introduce yourself? I will. Thank you. Faye and James, thanks very much for having me on the podcast. Delighted to be here and uh, delighted to give you an introduction, maybe a little bit on my background and then a little bit about what I'm doing with our venture capital fund. So I'm Keen Hughes. I'm a partner with Sure Valley Ventures. My career started back in, dare I say it, the 1980s. I worked for Lotus Development, as in Lotus 123, the famous spreadsheet and Lotus Notes company. 
started off there really as a as a software engineer and uh, great company it was a fantastic time in technology because it was very very early stages and obviously lotus went on one two three didn't work out for them so well in the longer term but notes i believe people still use notes these days in very strange organizations but not to worry <laughs> and um my career moved on from that a little bit. I worked very much in, initially in internationalization, so taking U.S. products and making them international for markets in Europe, markets in Asia, markets across the world. And what was really interesting for me was that I got to pretty much see all of the software and maybe even more than software, some hardware products or software hardware type products across B2B and B2C that was coming out of the U.S. and mainly a lot of it coming out of Silicon Valley at the time. And I got to see those products before anybody else ever did. So we got to play with really cool uh, software like 3D Studio Max when nobody even knew what it was uh, for 3D modeling. And um, subsequent to that, I moved on to work for Intel for a while. And that was really great introduction to operations, the whole manufacturing piece, because think about software back in the 90s. Software was manufactured. It came out on floppy disks and on CD-ROMs and stuff like that. So I got a great introduction to the whole experience around operations and managing operations. And Intel, while they people have a vision of them as a chip manufacturer, at that time they manufactured lots of other things. Like they, they actually produced OEM systems that people re, rebranded and or, or, or badged and rolled out as, as uh, under their brand. So it was a very, very exciting space. And I, I was very much in that... Uh, the hardware, the software that was shipped with the systems and all that kind of stuff, which was a great experience for me. Subsequently to that, I probably did a couple of startups somewhere along the way in there. Quick quick startups, shall we say, that I did some some work as a, as a founder with them and exited out again in the um, professional services space. And then I worked for a company called, believe it or not, Meta Creations which was what we would now call a um, spatial computing company. But then it was more uh, a graphics company or maybe more uh, further on would have been called a multimedia company. Lots of really fantastic software for 3D design, 2D design. IPO'd on the NASDAQ, uh, I think in about 96. And very interesting company to work for. Amazing that they were called Meta uh, or Meta Creations at the time. Uh, but they subsequently divested themselves of software uh, back in the, around the time of the dot-com bubble in the year 2000. They were based in Santa Barbara in California. So I got a lot of experience of the Santa Barbara experience. And then they merged with another company called Fractal Design, which were based in Scotts Valley, just at the northern end, if you like, of Silicon Valley. So that was my first kind of experience of working in and working with Silicon Valley and that whole ecosystem. After that, I worked for Palm for a while, as in the Palm um, Pilot and the Palm Trio smartphone and that whole mobile space. And I think, James, you'd be familiar with that pretty well. Um, yeah, yeah, I did some work with Palm O2, actually, yeah. uh, the developer program. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. But uh, they were pretty groundbreaking for their time because they effectively what they did was they merged. Handspring was the, was kind of the first merging, really, of a phone and a PDA in, in, a, in a realistic way that was open. And they produced the Trio smartphone and Palm acquired Handspring and... 
they basically rolled out what I would see being one of the really first smartphone devices. I'm sure there's people who will argue that the BlackBerry was that, but they really had their own enclosed system, I think, whereas the Trio smartphone was kind of a step in the direction of more open access to the internet, open access to multiple email systems and the kind of experience that we have, the early stages of the experience that we have today with Android and with iPhone. Well, iOS has taken the Palm experience of flicking an application up to close it, right? Sure has. Sure has, yeah. I remember that. Credit where credit is due. Yeah, no, absolutely. So Palm was a great experience. Uh, They were acquired by HP in around 2008, I think. And HP, um, I still did some work for HP for a while. But the Palm experience, because it was very much a Silicon Valley company based in Sunnyvale, I got to spend a lot of time over in Silicon Valley, get an experience of of that ecosystem. But as part of that, a number of my colleagues, we worked together to create a network of executives that could interact and help startup companies. Because while we were uh, engaged in working with Palm, a lot of people that we knew in the ecosystem were starting up companies and looking for help with that. We said, well, you know, there's, you know, a few of us, but if we open this up to our network, we can help those companies to expand and scale and, you know, get benefit from our experience. And then maybe we can do something more with that. So we got more aware of the the requirements around funding and venture capital because we were kind of immersed in that environment in Silicon Valley. And built a network, eventually set up an accelerator in downtown San Jose. We created a small fund and we had a consulting organization to help with companies to engage with larger companies within Silicon Valley and San Francisco. And the whole idea being that we would take companies from Ireland and the UK and provide a bridgehead effectively for them through our network, through our accelerator, through our small VC fund and through our consulting organization to get access to investors and partners and customers in the West Coast of the US. And... As part of that, I met my colleagues in Sure Valley Ventures on part of that journey. And all of these things have very interesting stories, but we have short time. But that was how I met my my current colleagues in Sure Valley Ventures as part of that, because our founding partner was head of a research institute called, it's currently called the Walton Institute in Waterford in Ireland. It's some fantastic startup companies that were spinning out of that. Barry Downs is the man in question. He's founding partner and managing partner of Sure Valley Ventures. And Barry and I did many, many road shows and activities in Silicon Valley as part of that uh, experience. So I think just to kind of conclude a little bit around how I got to Sure Valley Ventures, I took a break from the Silicon Valley experience and did some work with a data center company for a while, which had a ro- some robotic activity going on there. It was very interesting, a robotic piece of robotic hardware. And as part of that, I was consulting and doing a lot of work in the UK. So eventually my wife and I, she was also doing work over here. We, we decided we'd move to Cambridge because we thought it was a perfect location, mm-hmm. very close to London and the best weather ecosystem in the UK, as well as one of the best tech ecosystems as well. So we um, we moved over to Cambridge and at around that point, which was 2017, Barry had just set up the first fund for Sure Valley Ventures and he invited me to join the fund as a partner. And that's why we are where we are. 
today. So hopefully that gives us a bit of an overview about my my background and what I've gotten up to over the last number of years. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll come on to Shore Valley Ventures in a second. Um, I just wanted to go back and tap into that extensive US experience that you've had. I mean, it's a... I'm not a big fan of the whole does the UK need to need to have a Silicon Valley kind of conversation, but you've had a lot of exposure to Silicon Valley. What are, what are your observations in terms of what are some of the key ingredients that you saw over there that drove startup success? And I guess the supplementary question to that, are you seeing those those kind of ingredients in the UK? You know, is there a comparison or do you think we need something different? Sure. And it is a really great question. I think it's a great question for every tech ecosystem that's looking to scale up that technology and that startup community. So I think from a Silicon Valley perspective, I think if you kind of take a look at the way that 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 works, there are a number of very key ingredients in successful tech startups. And I think from a Silicon Valley perspective, you start off with universities, you know, really excellent establishments for learning. You look, you've got Stanford, you could argue Berkeley is not in, in Silicon Valley, it's a little bit to the north and to the to the east, but it's it's definitely part of that. But there's also great other great universities there. There's Santa Clara, you know, there's Santa Cruz, there's there's multiple universities, but Stanford is obviously the one that stands out as the the, the shining light of learning with, that's firmly within Silicon Valley. So you've got your university, which is providing very highly educated people access to, you know, an environment where they can experiment, where they can try out things, where they can develop technologies and ideas from within that whole kind of sandbox kind of idea. And then I think another kind of key ingredient around that is capital, access to allow those people within the university to spin out those ideas and try them out and, you know, take those companies and turn them into commercial operations. So I think that's the second ingredient. And then the third ingredient, which is a byproduct potentially of some of those two first ingredients, is access to talent. So when you've got a number of companies that have spun out and they've been successful and they've learned how to do it, what you get there is a pool of talent of people who know how to do this. They know how to spin out companies. They know how to hire people that are right at the right time. They know how to scale the companies. They know how to scale the companies internationally. They know how to pivot when things go wrong and they know how to build across verticals and they know how to build, you know, partnerships and really build those companies into the blue chips that we see that have come out of Silicon Valley and out of the US. And that's probably the third ingredient. But there's more than that. I think it's in addition to that, there's a can-do attitude. There's, you've got to have people that are, you know, the mindset is there that they're, they're positive. There's that whole positivity around, we're super excited about this. We love technology. We love the things that we can do. We love the ability to build that community, the interaction between, you know, all of us working together. And I think maybe the other ingredient is more than that. It's the willingness to collaborate it's the willingness to work together. It's the willingness to share ideas and not to kind of hold them into themselves and, you know, be super protective or protectionist in terms of how they, they operate. And what I find in Silicon Valley is that no matter where I go and I hang out in a lot of coffee shops and hotel lobbies and, you know, events and stuff like that there. But if you go into any Starbucks or Pete's or whatever it is in Silicon Valley for your coffee and you break out your laptop or your iPad or whatever, and the people around you, they're all either startup founders 
working in a startup, working for a blue chip company or an investor. Mm. It's 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 almost inevitable that that's who's 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 around you. It's very very much an ecosystem of technology development and investment. And I talk to people. I'm an Irish guy, so I talk to people randomly, shall we say. So I'm kind of chatty. And usually I'll say, hey, what do you get up to? And they'll say, oh, you know, I've got this startup and it does this. And I say, oh, right, great. That's very interesting. And, you know, we might become friends and we mightn't. Who knows? But it's that kind of environment and the willingness to share stuff in terms of information and say, oh, I'm doing this. And then somebody else comes along and say, hey, hey, I know someone else who's doing something. They're a bit like you, but, you know, you, you should meet them. Yeah, yeah. And that whole willingness to introduce people to one another, to share ideas, to collaborate. I think that's the glue that sticks the whole thing together. Being devil's advocate, I would say I'm sitting here listening to that. And apart from the, you know, the random conversations in coffee shops that I'm not entirely sure that we would do here. Actually, that's all very Cambridge, you know, so we have lots of vehicles for funding. We have the founders with experience that are willing to share that. Um, we have that mindset and the community and the ecosystem that's all supporting. So do you see it the same? Do you do you see Cambridge as, as being similar or are, they, are there still key differences? Cambridge has all the ingredients that are required to be actually a fantastic tech ecosystem, which it is. It is. And I do see all of the ingredients there. So obviously there's fantastic universities. There's two fantastic universities here in Cambridge. But it's broader than that, if you think about it, because Cambridge is very, very close to other fantastic hubs of technology, including London and fantastic universities in London. The ability to share ideas, to work together with other universities, and they do, between Cambridge and, and London and Oxford and Manchester. And there's been a, recently, just about a month or so ago, an announcement around collaboration between Manchester and yeah. Cambridge, which mm -hmm. I think is is fantastic. What are they calling it? The Silicon Diamond or something like that? Oh, I don't know. We've got golden triangles yeah, or any kind of shape yeah. with a... I, I don't know. You know but it's... Not name to it. But I think that's... It, it's great to be able to leverage that. Think about it. Access to great universities, access to talent, access to capital, and then a great collaborative ecosystem. And access, the other one, of course, is access to customers as well, if you think about that. And again, the UK is a, it's a great economy in its own right, but also has the ability to export its, its products and its services all over Europe and into the US and all over the world because of the infrastructure that's there. So I think Cambridge has pretty much all of the ingredients, although probably starting a little bit later in some ways and being a little bit smaller, but has the ability to scale very much. And I see a lot of work being done with, for example, the, the recent conference with Innovate Cambridge, the ideas mm -hmm. of, you know, building actual infrastructure to support that in terms of, you know, facilities and labs and all of those kind of things support that scaling of an ecosystem like Cambridge. But I would also agree, and I will go back to the, the coffee shops bit. I do see that here. Like a lot of my meetings are with people in, in coffee shops or in hotel lobbies or in their offices or, or at the in, train station. Or in the pub, you know, or we, in the we pub. have that very often. And I get that. It's just, I don't think you'd necessarily just walk up to someone and start talking to them and asking what they're doing. I think That's more your personality type. <laughs> yeah, I might though. Okay. Um, okay. I might though. And, <laughs> and, and I have done, uh, interestingly enough. I've I, I, I had meetings at the train station where 
the person beside me turned around and said, oh, that was a very interesting conversation that you were having there. And I say, oh, right. What did you what do you get up to? And they're doing something that's interesting or fun. And they were either coming into Cambridge or they're an academic here in Cambridge or they're, you know, working on AI or they're working mm-hmm. on ethics or something like that. And I, I, I get that a fair bit. It's back to that density of the right people in the right places. Isn't it? it is. You know. now, I would probably argue that Cambridge is a little bit more academic than Silicon mm. Valley. So I, mm. I get to meet more academics um, in Cambridge than I do mm. uh, in, the, in the coffee shop environment, if you want to talk about that. It's, I probably see more people that are working on their technology within the university, whereas in Silicon Valley, you would see more that are already or either were spinning it out or had spun it out. Yeah. Supercomputing is becoming an essential tool of scientific and medical research. Operating award-winning data centres, KO Data is proud to host Cambridge One, the UK's most powerful supercomputer accelerating health research. With computing power and space available and excellent connectivity to Cambridge and the cloud, KO Data is ideally placed to support advanced computing organisations of all shapes and sizes. Get in touch today at kodata.com slash contact. Let's now move on to Shore Valley Ventures and your role there. So you're head of platform, and I believe you've developed like a whole program of of support to help your portfolio companies accelerate their growth, which I think is really interesting. Tell us a little bit more about that and what that entails. Sure. I think if we think about startup founders and startups in general. And I actually did an interesting talk a couple of weeks ago, and I had an audience of about 200 founders. And I asked them, I said, "Uh, folks, I'm just going to ask you some questions because I like a bit of interactivity when I'm doing a talk. I said, folks, what do you you look from from a VC? And they said, didn't take them long, said, money. (laughs) I said, oh, great. I'm in the right place. Excellent. And I said, what else do you want? They were a bit slower to come back to me on that. And I said, how about more money? And they said, oh, yeah, we'd like that. And then I said, what about customers? Do you like them? And uh, access to partners. And I said, look, our, we have a platform. And what, what, what we're about is obviously we're an investor. We're a VC and we invest into your company. But in addition to that, we help you to get other investors to come into your company, either alongside us in the first round, in our first investment that we do, or maybe into subsequent investments into your Series A or your Seed Plus. So we help you to access those investors through our network. And... Also, we help you with access to partnerships and with customers. But in addition to that, what we find is we invest at, you know, what I'd call seed, sort of mid-seed stage. And typically, those companies don't have every, they don't have all the ingredients at that stage. They don't have all the right people. They might have a product that's 75% developed. You know, they may not have all the customers we'd like them to have. They may not even have vast amounts of commercial traction or even recurring revenue. And we help them with all of that through helping them to identify the gaps that they have within their organization or within their product. We also help them with learning, with coaching, with mentoring, and we help them through our broader network. Like, as I've mentioned, I have a fantastic network in Silicon Valley. All of our partners have their own networks. Uh, Three of us have pretty decent Silicon Valley network. We have pretty decent UK network, really strong European network, and some Asian network as well, which is very helpful for getting companies access to investors, customers in those areas. So the other thing we have done is we've built through the network, 
a big advisory board for our port purely for our portfolio to advise them, not to advise us specifically, but to advise our portfolio. We have about 60 people on our advisory board and it's a mix of folks from Silicon Valley that are, you know, C-level or VPs in Silicon Valley. Some folks that are, you know, part of sales organizations, marketing, um, legal, compliance, but also folks from academia who can help them if they're at that earlier stage. How do you spin out as a company? How do you commercialize that? What is that journey and what's the smart way to do it? So I think a couple of things around platform are having the right supports at the right time, having a custom program because every startup is different. They all need different things. Some of them have really strong founders in the sales space. So we have some portfolio companies that have really great salespeople that are founders of their company. But I would say that's that's less than probably 25% of the, the, the portfolio. Most of our technology portfolio companies are technologists. They're technology people. So they're the CTO side of the house, as opposed to the founders that can really grasp marketing, communications, sales. And what we always say to them is, look, you can have the best product in the world, can be really amazing, can be super groundbreaking. But if nobody knows about it, nobody will buy it. And you've got to get the word out there. You've got to be able to promote your product. You've got to know what your go-to-market strategy is. You've got to know how to get there. You've got to get that product to the famous product market fit so that people actually want to buy the thing that you've developed. Yeah. So you mentioned at the beginning that, um, you know, the 200 founders weren't immediately aware that these additional services were were available. Different VC funds offer different yeah, things around yeah, platforms. Some, some don't do it at all. Yeah, they basically say, right. hey, we, we give you money and we'll introduce you to some people and that's yeah. it. And then others provide varying different degrees of platform, whether it be, you know, support with mentoring and coaching or whether they have a broader thing. Like Andreessen Horowitz have, I don't know, 300 people that can literally jump in and be your finance department or your engineering department or your yeah. marketing department should they need to do that. And they can effectively run your company for you if, if, if that needed to be done. And yeah. it depends on the size of the fund. Yeah, so, so I guess my question was going to be, do you see... Do you see that becoming a competitive advantage then, you know, as as you look to get into high potential, high growth companies, that breadth of offer, do you see that as a competitive advantage moving forward as expectation rises in founders for more support services? For us, we see it definitely as a competitive advantage. And we're very well connected with the VC Global Platform community, which is a, a community of platform professionals, if you like, within VC. So we have great visibility on, you know, statistics around the supports from from platform and how that works for companies and how that helps companies to 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 grow and scale. For, from our perspective, we obviously benchmark and we also check with our portfolio companies to s- understand the value that they perceive from what we're doing. And we always get very, very strong feedback from them. But I think what's interesting is that if you take a look at statistics around companies getting from seed to series A, less than 50% of companies get from seed to series A ever, mm. which is quite a, a quite quite stark if you think mm. about that. Whereas in our case, 80% of our companies have gotten to series A. Okay. And we would point to platform as being one of the reasons why that has happened. Now, we could also argue that we've chosen very well in selecting our companies, but we do think that the approach we have developed around platform, and it is very specific, has helped those companies both to access additional funding, access their customers, get their product right, 
get their marketing right and get their sales engine up and running so that they can hit the metrics required to get a Series A round. Yeah. And I think that that's the proof of the pudding, I guess, for for platform. So, Keen, I think that's, you know, really good insights into what you do at Sure Valley Ventures. Um, can you tell us a little bit about some of those portfolio companies that you've got? Sure. One I think we should talk about is we've got a great Cambridge-based company called VividQ. They're a holographic software platform. I think we believe that they're potentially the future of display. This is genuinely a deep, deep tech company. Yeah, we actually uh, had Alexandra on the podcast. You did indeed. You did indeed. Ago. So... That company, I think, you know, we're, we're using our laptops or our smartphones or our TVs as a display source for what we do today. I think the idea as we go forward is that there will be more of a holographic type experience. If you think more like the holodeck in Star Trek or Minority Report or that kind of display type environment. And that's the technology that vivid q are developing at the moment fantastic team we met them in 2018 when they were at an earlier stage and the product has come on like the development of the product has been it's been an amazing journey the product is just it's just incredible to see what what the guys have done there i think that possibly the initial commercialization of that product will either be in head mounted displays like you know the 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 kind of wearables where you're actually having a holographic overlay, augmented reality, or in vehicles like heads-up displays where you're driving your car. And right now we've got the, I suppose, the iPad-type device in in, in most vehicles to deal with your navigation or all, all of that kind of information that you're getting while you're driving. But the whole idea here is that it would throw an augmented reality layer over the environment in front of you. And I don't know what your experience is of finding the off-ramp or the on-ramp, certainly the off-ramp on some complicated motorways or freeways. Finding ones that are close together sometimes is nerve-wracking, to say the least, but the idea of having an arrow thrown on top of the correct exit would certainly be very helpful when you're driving at 60 or 70 miles an hour on a a motorway or a freeway. So uh, VividQ, great example of a company that we've invested in the deep tech space. We recently invested in a company called Capture, London-based company, which is a vision system, multiple applications across enterprise. One particular example would be around accurately identifying the parking of scooters, which we have quite a few in Cambridge, or electric bicycles through a vision system and ensuring that the parking is done correctly and I think if we look at the voice system that we have here in Cambridge, sometimes it works well in terms of the parking and sometimes the scooters are kind of all over the place. Whereas this system would accurately identify that the scooters are parked correctly and sign off and make it a much simpler process. But also for delivery, they're also identifying the delivery of packages from, for example, Amazon or DPD, mm-hmm. that the package has been delivered to the right address and it has also been left in a safe place that has been agreed by the customer. So that's a, another example of the product the guys have there. But we're investing in enterprise AI systems, cybersecurity, and what we call immersive technologies or spatial computing. Mm. You just opened a UK-specific AI fund, I believe. Is that right? Our UK fund is up and running for about a year, and uh, we're investing across the United Kingdom. We're backed by the British Business Bank, which is great. We're delighted with that. They are the anchor investor in our fund and focused on seed, seed investments across the United Kingdom, 
we've invested even in Northern Ireland. We have a company there called Retinize, which is also in the spatial computing space. And that fund is open for investment at the moment. So just following on from that, you started talking about some of the specific segments that you're interested in investing in. How do you scout for new opportunities? How do you go out and look? Or is it people coming into you? And the second question then is, what advice would you give to people that are looking for funding? Very important questions. So I think when it comes to scouting, we do this in multiple ways. So yes, people do come to us. We have a cold reach out from companies that uh, come to us uh, because they're aware of us and we, we, we have actively worked to make our brand and what we're doing and our expertise and our platform. We've, we've done a lot of work to create awareness of that across the United Kingdom. And we've also done a lot of work around community building. We go to a lot of events and we speak at, 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 at events as well, just to make people aware of what it is that we do and this the, the focus that we have. And I think one of the things that's key is that we have a focused fund. We're not a generalist. We're not investing in, in anything, which some funds are, and you know, it works well for them. But our, our passion to some extent, I think, is around the deeper tech space where we're investing in technologies that we believe are revolutionary and have very, very deep IP as well that's protectable and difficult to reproduce, which I think is very important when you're investing in technology companies. So our approach is mainly through in-person and data-driven origination. We call origination, scouting, origination, finding companies. So we use a data-driven approach to find all the companies that are within our scope. So in sectorally correct, stage correct, geographically correct for us to 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 invest and we obviously analyze those and see which ones are a good match for what we're what we're trying to locate for investment and we reach out to them so there's cold reach out from companies to us sometimes cold reach out from us to companies but also the in-person origination we attend events we specifically go to events where we can actually meet companies that are pitching so we go to pitch events we're as you mentioned we're judges at at, uh, events like we were at cambridge tech week and we also get a lot of introductions from other people other founders also from other venture capital firms some of those uh, introductions are really really fantastic we we get invited to come into other rounds with other vcs and we do the same we invite other vcs to join us in in rounds for deals that we think are exciting so i think there's multiple approaches for this but our goal is to find every company within the united kingdom that matches our criteria and then you know select it down to the companies that we actually want to invest in and that we think have real genuine global opportunity And the second part to that question is, what advice would you give to companies approaching you? I think for companies approaching us, obviously they need to understand our criteria for investment because we won't invest outside of the space that we're we're focused on. But in fairness, we usually don't just totally say no. We'll say, you know, it's not for us, but maybe you should talk to somebody else that's more appropriate for what your sector is or your stage. So we sometimes get Series A or even Series B companies looking to us for investment. And we invest initially, our initial placements are at seed. So we won't go straight into a Series a series A or a Series B. We might follow on into Series A. 
but we would not invest for the first time at Series A. So I think in terms of advice, I think what's really important is that companies need to articulate what their product does. I get a lot of pitches for still not sure what the product does. So being able to clearly articulate what does this product do? What problem does it really solve? Why will customers buy it? Have you any proof that customers will buy it? You know, you might have an idea. I think, oh, yeah, I think a customer would buy this because it kind of sounds as though it solves a problem. But do you know any customers that will buy it? Will they pay for it? So getting through that process, I think, is very important. Getting an understanding. We mentioned product market fit. I think getting a, you know, a clear understanding. Do you have product market fit or how you get there? I think is is very important. And the other thing I think that's important for founders is to understand that while you're selling a product to customers, you're selling something else to venture capitalists and to investors. You're selling them a financial product. You're selling them an investment. You're selling them something that is quite a bit different from what you're selling to your your customer that's buying your product. And I think that's a mindset that needs to be thought about a little bit by founders, because not a lot of them do. They kind of pitch the product to you, and that's great, because we want to understand what the product does. We're unlikely to invest in a product that we don't understand what it does or why it solves a problem. But it is important that they understand that what they're pitching to us has the ability to scale and has the ability to provide returns to the investors. So I think that's also very, very important for founders who are pitching to investors and venture capitalists. Well, it's been a fascinating walk through both your, you know, your career and your work at Shore Valley Ventures. I'm sure people are going to bump into you around Cambridge. It sounds like you're out and about quite regularly. Love meeting people. Love meeting people. And I really, I, I have to say, I've met such great people here in Cambridge and probably worth mentioning a couple of people very quickly. David Gill from uh, St. James Innovation Centre. He's been a great friend to me and has introduced me to so many people who then in turn introduced me to many, many other people. Professor Alan Barrell has been a wonderful friend to me as well and introduced me to all sorts of people, including Charles Cotton, who is the author, co-author of The Cambridge Phenomenon, which is a a phenomenal two books and I, I, I kind of had hoped there might be a third one, but I'm not sure that that'll happen. But uh, but some of the introductions that I've had, and it's back to that collaboration. Mm-hmm. They the happily introduce you to people who can help you. The willingness to help, the willingness to collaborate. Really, 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 really amazing. But there's also fantastic organisations here as well, like Cambridge and Innovate Cambridge. Even uh, we're, we're not so much of an investor in the biotech space, but we do look at tech bio deals. The guys in O2H, Prashant and Sunil Shah, they have a wonderful campus in Hoxton, close to where I live. But there's so many more, you know, there's so many more organisations like Cambridge, the Cambridge Network. John Gourd uh, has been great at helping with introductions for me as well. So it's, it's, it's great. I, I love meeting people. And I love meeting founders and seeing amazing technology. It's kind of what makes my job super exciting. And for me, I probably have my favorite job in the world. I get to meet really great people. I get to meet really great investors. And I get to see super technology that's ideally going to change the world. And what better way of ending that episode? Thank you. That's Cambridge in a nutshell. Thank you. Today's show was produced by Carl Homer of Cambridge TV and supported by our media partner, Business Weekly. The Cambridge Tech Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and on cambridgetechpodcast.com. 
If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review. It will really help others discover the show. 